Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, June 8th. So the PGA Tour and Live Golf want to merge. Now, does that mean if you win the Masters, you get a green jacket and you get to hack up an American journalist? Gives a new meaning to Amen Corner. It's all about the money, people. Don't think it's about anything else. I guess it's time to try pickleball. Well, it's not all about the money for nurses, at least according to two new reports on the current nursing shortage and what to do about it. To share their takeaways from the two new reports are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? I'm glad to be in Boston and not in New York City, where my friends are sending me apocalyptic pictures of the Canadian fire haze. Maybe it's the end of the world, but then again, maybe it's not. Uh, In the meantime, stay indoors if you're in the greater New York City region. Yeah, I've seen some of those pictures. It's basically orange outside. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Julie, how are you? Yeah, having lived through that in San Francisco a few years ago, my heart goes out to New Yorkers. It's just the most disturbing experience. But I am on the beautiful West Coast of Seattle where I have an eighth grader graduating tonight. So a lot of good in our family to celebrate. Wow. Congratulations. That's great. Fantastic. A lot to look forward to. Thanks, Julie. Now, before we talk about what to do about the nursing shortage, let's talk about pickleball. Dave, do you know what it is? Have you tried it? And if you've tried it, did you like it? I've played it a few times, and and I do like it, but I have a cautionary tale. I know three people who have ruptured their Achilles heel playing pickleball. Evidently, that first step can be dangerous. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I tore my Achilles playing basketball, so I know exactly what that's like. Thanks, Dave. Julie, have you ever played pickleball? And if you did, uh, what do you think? Yeah, well, I'm an avid try-to-get-better-at-tennis player. Notice I didn't say tennis player, Uh, but my husband yanked us into the pickleball world over the Christmas break, and we've started to play. It's been a lot of fun, but I don't know. I still want to get better at tennis. No, I hear you. Thank you. Everyone we know plays, but we haven't yet. I did get pickleball rackets for Father's Day last year, and they're still in the little black zip-up case in the garage. To me, if I start playing pickleball, it's a sign that I'm too old and slow for tennis. Yeah, I am too old and slow for tennis, at least for competitive tennis, but I don't need to broadcast it to the world by holding up a pickleball racket. So there you have it. And I'll maybe save my other Achilles tendon. So I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that has nothing to do with our topic today, and that's the nursing shortage. You know, unless adding a pickleball court to a rooftop hospital parking lot uh, turns out to be an effective recruitment strategy. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) All right. McKinsey released a report last month based on a survey of about 400 frontline nurses. 31% of the nurses said they may leave their current direct patient care positions in the next year. That's the headline. The top three reasons why are... They don't feel valued by their organization. They don't feel adequately compensated. And they lack a work-life balance. 
the top three reasons why they would stay are doing meaningful work, positive interactions with colleagues, and having caring and trusting teammates. Now, those last two are connected to the uh, second report that we'll talk about. Dave, what's your reaction to the top reasons nurses want to stay or leave? Did any other reasons in the survey catch your eye? And if you ran a hospital, what market innovations would you use to keep your nurses happy and on the job? All in two minutes. Okay. All in two minutes, right. (laughs) My reaction to the top reasons why nurses are staying or leaving, I think the nurses are telling the truth. The responses felt honest. I was most struck by how much importance nurses gave to meaningful work as a reason for staying. At 82%, it was number one by a wide margin. Positive interactions was number two at 69%. Hospital administrators take note. Meaningful work matters. I've always been struck by Dan Pink's argument in his book, Drive, about motivating professionals Once you make sure compensation is fair, what drives professionals is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Purpose is obviously very high in the nursing world. Pay attention to it. The other thing that struck me generally about reasons for leaving versus reasons for staying is many more nurses gave higher responses for reasons for staying than for leaving. I took that as a positive sign. Going the other way, the group most likely to leave were RNs. Why is that? Is that because they're at the top of the profession, so they see more opportunity? They're more aware of the dysfunction in the health systems, particularly in hospitals? Or is it some combination of both? I think McKinsey should dig into that factoid next year when they do their study again. Other observations, turnover is really expensive. At Emeticist, Paul Cusero quantified the costs of turnover in the high turnover home care industry. He attacked it with a vengeance and cut it in half, and that was the principal driver in the company's turnaround. I also think there might be a bit of a contagion effect at play in these survey results. The more we talk about nursing turnover, the more nurses say that turnover is on their mind. We ought to try to make the contagion turn positive as well. More people want to become nurses than ever. We should make it easier for them to do so and, and really sing the virtues of the profession, which are numerous. Technology is our friend here. Last year, you may remember, Dave, I co-authored a two-part series with the title the way healthcare is working isn't working. Part two of that series profiled several technologies and workforce modifications that can decrease burden, improve work-life integration, and enhance career progression for nurses. The McKinsey report highlighted some great initiatives on this front as well. To your last question, what would I do if I were a hospital administrator? I definitely pay attention to the problem. I'd avoid platitudes and get into the field to get firsthand knowledge and experience from nurses on what the company could do to improve nurses' work-life integration. I'd also work every hour of every day on increasing the value that my organization delivers to patients. Serving nurses well is the best strategy for getting them to go the extra mile for patients, for customers. This is not a new strategy, but it may be the best one ever. So pay attention to nurses, listen to what they say, make their work life better and reap the benefits. Yeah, that free pizza night won't work anymore. Thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? 
I see a lot of innovations focusing on giving nurses back the control in their life, control over their schedule, control over their choice of workplace. I don't see a lot of solutions focusing on the respect that I see they're saying they're not getting in these results. So if you could fix one driver of that dissatisfaction, would you give nurses more control or would you wave a wand and have everyone give them the respect they actually deserve? Or is there something else that if you changed 180 degrees would solve the majority of the issues? Aretha Franklin got it right, Julie. It all comes down to R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. Throwing money and bodies at the nursing shortage isn't the answer. We can't afford it and it doesn't work. We need to do everything we can do for nurses and other healthcare professionals to enable them to practice at the very top of their licenses. I'll go back to purpose. Higher purpose and respect will follow if we give people the tools and the ability to practice at the top of the license. It's really that simple. Unfortunately, now I've got Aretha's voice flowing through my head. So sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me. <laughs> well, I think that may be the first reference to Aretha Franklin on the show, and it's definitely the first use of sock it to me. So <laughs> thanks, Dave. Nice work, Dave. Way to make it into a song. Scratch those <laughs> off the list, right? Also, last month, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation released a report on nurses' perceptions and experiences with discrimination in the workplace. The report is based on a survey of about a thousand nurses. Seventy-nine percent they experienced racism or discrimination from patients, and fifty-nine percent said they experienced racism or discrimination from colleagues. That's the headline. And here are the top three ways nurses want their employers to fix things. First, establish a zero-tolerance policy for racism or discrimination. Two, establish and implement clear consequences for reported and confirmed incidents of racism, discrimination, or harassment. And three, encourage staff to report all incidents of racism, discrimination, or harassment with guaranteed anonymity if desired. Pretty strong medicine. Julie, do the survey results surprise you? What do you think of the remedies? And if you ran a hospital, what innovations would you use to reduce racism or discrimination in the healthcare workplace? Well, I have so many thoughts on this. First, the survey data is from March slash April 2022. So it's over a year old. And we all know that this issue, these types of issues, will not be solved overnight. I mean, we're dealing with these issues societally, right? So we're there for the long haul. But I've actually seen a tremendous shift in health system priorities over the last 12 months to supporting workforce in so many ways, finding more workforce, creating more flexibility in workforce schedule, supporting workforce with training, better onboarding. All sorts of things that, you know, frankly, start to address issues in both of these surveys, although to be fair, far more of the issues in the McKinsey survey than this survey. So I don't know. I'm not surprised by the results at all. Um, but I actually do really think that systems are trying to at least talk more about it and their priorities. And here's what I see in the results. It starts in the very beginning. Almost half of the respondents, 44%, say that there was a culture of racism in nursing school. So when we start a nursing school, we definitely have a problem. <laughs> and we're hiding the issues, honestly. 
Fewer than one in four nurses report the discrimination they saw or experienced to management. So it starts from the very beginning and we're hiding it. We're sitting on it. And this is really interesting to me because now these surveys are giving voice to something that people have been hiding in their pockets and in the dark corner and in, you know, the dark rooms of the hospital where people go to complain about things and they're not coming out. So there's a there's a big transparency issue that I think is holding back progress. And innovations, you know, throughout this have come in all shapes and sizes and a lot, honestly, lately. But I'm I'm seeing a confluence of issues in how these solutions are addressing health equity and how they're looking at equitable workplaces. Those are two highly related issues, but also different issues. And the innovations and frankly, the way they're being managed, we need to take a deliberate look at the divide there or at those differences there. You know, first, we clearly need some sort of real-time reporting system. Um, I, I've seen companies like Laudio that integrate into HR systems, Penn Medicine as piloting another digital platform called Lift Every Voice that enables members to report racism in the workplace. And, you know, it's not just nurses, it's physicians, nurses, technicians, environmental service workers, unit clerks. So there are types of solutions that are out there trying to address these things. But at the end of the day, this really takes what we talk about a lot here, which is strong, diverse leadership and intentional, diverse boards. We need to create role models, break down the systemic and deeply ingrained historical issues. And at the end of the day, it's about culture and it's about leadership. And it's really about enabling decision making that creates respect, which is, Dave, of course, I love your Aretha Franklin answer. <laughs> and, you know, when I really sat back and thought about this, I thought like, oh, gosh, you always hear like the doctor's orders or we need the doctor's sign off. And I'm not saying this is strictly a physician issue, but you can cut the hierarchy of healthcare with a knife or maybe with a scalpel. <laughs> you know, a lot of these issues come from that. And two things, I think, just to close out, one is I've given a shout out to Janice Nevin from Christiana Care before. But here again, because she is the first CEO in the country to put the word love into her vision mission statements. I mean, she wants to create a culture of love in her health system because she recognizes the need for everyone to feel love and compassion for one another in this industry and for patients. So someone like Janice is really working on the cultural side. And I think lastly, we need to create care teams with teeth. We've been talking about care teams forever. And a leadership of a bunch of clinical disciplines that are just doctor-led are not going to get it done. We're seeing more nurse leadership, but we need equitable decision-making, and we need multiple types of clinicians to be able to make decisions at policy levels and operational levels that create that culture of respect and that leadership you know, model that is more equitable. Yeah, positive change starts at the top. Very good. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? There was one thing in the McKinsey report I thought was interesting. UMass Medical Center in Worcester has asked people coming into the medical center to sign a code of conduct to try to limit incivility. And they've had over 56,000 people sign it, and it's led to a market reduction in acts of incivility and reporting of incivility. So I think having it front and center, Julie, the way you described is, is just really important, and proactive steps like that can make a difference. 
the nurses' solutions were almost all stick and no carrot. Given these high rates of experienced racism, it's obviously important for hospital administrators to set zero tolerance policies with appropriate penalties and reporting protections. But I'm also wondering if there isn't a need for more intensive DEI training and for the type of step that UMass took and being much more proactive to help nurses and patients and other workers in hospitals understand and respond appropriately to racist behaviors by patients, and perhaps even more importantly, to address their own latent biases in ways that improve the workplace environment for everyone. What do you think? Am I being too Pollyannish, or was Ben Franklin right? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the respondents called for increased training. There have been definitely some systems who've taken the lead on this and some associations, you know, American Association of College of Nurses have called for this. So training is definitely in order, especially Dave, when you see it happening in nursing school. I mean, we've got some issues, right? Yeah. I think the issue is training will only get you so far and training is something that needs to go on for a long time in a lot of settings and needs to actually be impactful. So I worry about trainings and DEI turning into something that feels very required and check the box and not done well. So healthcare would really have to embrace a different mode of training than just what their typical kind of, you know, credit system is for physicians, if you will. Mm -hmm. But yes, I mean, I don't know how we get ourselves out of something like this without really doing that. And, you know, (laughs) those are not resources that health systems are, are spending today. Yeah, that's interesting. It reminded me of when I coached baseball and we made the parents sign a code of conduct. Now, these these kids were like eight and nine years old, but yet we had to have the parents promise to behave in the stands. (laughs) Right. Uh, Something else. But uh, still being a frontline nurse is a lot tougher. And uh you know, no amount of money is going to make up for some of the stuff they have to deal with. So it's uh, definitely time to think beyond salary and benefits. That's for sure. Now let's briefly talk about other big healthcare news this week. Uh, it wasn't all bad, was it? Julie, what else happened this week that we should care about? Well, because we talk about him so much, Dave, I'm sure you probably saw that Optum is trying to swoop in and take a medicine. <laughs> I think it's gone beyond swoop in. I think it's happening. Is it for sure? I haven't been following the whole story, but yeah, I I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three billion in cash will buy you a lot of stuff. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, Dave. What other healthcare news is worth a mention? Well, as many may know, I'm on the board of the HFMA, and we had a passing of the baton this week. Our long-serving and fantastic CEO Joe Pfeiffer retired June one, and incoming and looks to be fantastic. New CEO, Ann Jordan, took the helm. It was a great leadership transition process. It was wonderful to be a part of it. Obviously, wish Joe the best as he moves into retirement in his next phase, but also equally excited for Ann and the energy she brings, new blood, new vision. I think she's just going to be fantastic. Can't wait to work with her. Yeah, that, yeah, I don't know her, but Joe was a great guy, so I also uh, wish him well. Thanks, Dave, and thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. 
If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.